I wanted a place for people to receive authentic guidance and practical ways to awaken. Thought-provoking, paradigm-shifting, and empowering. This is about expanding our human consciousness to create a wave of new possibilities. I'm Dr. Teresa Willard-Wyke, and this is Quantum Minds TV. Welcome to Quantum Minds TV, where we take a deep dive into various perspectives on what it's going to take to create a shift in human consciousness. Now, on the show today, I am very excited to have Stuart Pierce joining me. Stuart is a legendary master of voice, a voice alchemist, and an angelic emissary. He was the head of voice at the Weber Douglas Academy in London from 1980 to 1997, and he helped to pioneer the Shakespeare's Globe Theater for Mark Rylance between 1997 and 2010. In addition to this, Stuart has coached luminaries such as Eddie Redmayne, Matthew Good, Hugh Bonneville, Amelia Clark, Margaret Thatcher, Mo Mollem, Benazir Bhutto, Diana, Princess of Wales, and Anita Roddick. Stuart has also been an angelic emissary for 35 years, and he's published several books, including Angels and the Keys to Paradise, The Angels of Atlantis Book and Oracle, The Angelic Heart Sigils Oracle, The Heart's Note, and The Alchemy of Voice, alongside several other award-winning sonic meditation recordings. Now, Stuart's current publication, Diana, The Voice of Change, gives revelations about Princess Diana's life principles and the essence that ignited her radiance. Thank you so much for joining me and being my distinguished guest today. I'm super excited for our conversation. Bless you. Yeah, we're best here. Um, every time that we chat, I have always found that our conversations, number one, are super engaging and very interesting. And not only are you charismatic in your self-expression, you also offer such unique insights that are typically coming from a much higher perspective. And, and that higher perspective is something that we might also call an archetypal perspective on people, world events, social narratives. And so this is something that I'd love for us to dive into today, like what it means to actually see life through the lens of the archetypes and why it's important to do so. Uh, and I often find that people don't even know what an archetype is. So maybe we can start there. How might you define archetypes? Wow. <laughs> what a provoking question. Um, on a very literal level, I'll go to the earthy, literal, human level first. I, I perceive archetypes as keys into our consciousness. Mm -hmm. And that indeed we are cones of all of the archetypes and when i say all of the archetypes of course there are many uh however i i subscribe to the communion of 12 because 12 is a really really powerful key into universal resonance frequency such as the sacred lover the sacred sovereign the holy liberator the holy leader in the form of michael or the the, the, the i think i said the healer Etc. 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 So there are twelve. Mm -hmm. So I believe that these are fractals of light that emerge from cosmic intelligence, mm 
that are useful tools for us to understand our interconnectivity between the humanness of our being and the divine. So therefore, they take on mythic proportions. And when we begin to look into the movement and the history of our peoples through all the varying civilizations that have existed, because as we all know that civilizations rise and then they fall. There is a point of unition, there is a point of completion, and then there's a resurrection for a new civilization. And it's pretty obvious that when we look into the world, we see that there is a completion to the civilization that we've lived, ostensibly for two and a half thousand years. That's a cosmic framework that I'm using. And so we're beginning uh, we're beginning uh, the development of a new civilization, and therefore, nevus takes place, chaos takes place. And the, to bring order into chaos, the archetypes come forth because they're these pinnacles of light that are at the very core of our consciousness, that often through the traffic of our lives, we forget about the significance of the mythic or the mystic ask of our lives of the higher vibrational aspect of cosmic intelligence as we move through fractals of light or octaves of energy into the higher dimensions. Um, I've never been asked that question before, so I hope that that provides an adequate and also thought-provoking answer. So, Stuart, I, I, I love what you've just shared there about uh, archetypes and, and the definitions. And I think, um, if I may, uh, Carl Jung defined archetypes as a, a certain pattern or role or motif that, uh, like a theme that we see being told again and again and again in our, uh, in our storytelling, in our uh, movies, in theater, in our books, and so forth. And they even show up in our own lives. As you were saying, we are embodiments of them. Um, and I, I love that you have the, the sacred 12, uh, some systems like in Kabbalah, we work with 22 different archetypes in addition to uh, the 12 major ones. And, you know, they, they can be anything from, you know, roles that we play in life, like being the mother, being the father, being the child, uh, being the warrior, the hero, uh, being the, the teacher, right? These are different roles. And, and then there are themes, you know, we have the quintessential themes that we see showing up again and again and again in our uh, movies like Good versus Evil or the journey of transformation or life and death. Um, but I think the big question is, you know, how for people to really relate to them, right? Which is to, to uh, what I'd love to do is try and find a way for them to shift from thinking of them as these abstract things that aren't real. Uh, they're just concepts to how they really show up in our life and how they relate to us both individually and collectively. So what would you say to how they show up and, and relate to us as individuals, but also as a collective? So if these are prototypes that exist as keys to our consciousness, given to us by the divine, but also really emanating through our physical lives as human beings on this planet, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual, I believe that they configure at this time of extraordinary growth, but also this time of great change, time of great chaos, as life buoys or life belts that we can hold on to. Everything is up for abs. Particularly, mm -hmm. as this is the age of transparency, the shadow is out. 
As one yeah. of the great poets said, thank God our tide is now, when wrong comes up at every turn, never to leave us till we take the longest stride of soul we humans ever look. Okay. It seems pretty critical. Uh, so we reach out for love. We reach out for faith. We reach out for mercy. We reach out for forgiveness. These are, and this is just a few, there are, there are 12 within canon of teaching that I provide that were given to me by these extraordinary beings of light known as the angels of Atlantis, as well as being amplified by the major teachers. You know, I've been a soul seeker all my life. I saw the multidimensional uh, energy as a child, but of course I needed to make sense of what I was seeing because it didn't actually configure with what 3D was all about. <laughs> and so I sought out teachers, firstly through Christianity, and then into Judaism, and then into Sufism. And then I was claimed by Zai Baba and became one of his devotees. And then by a Native American elder. So in other words, my lineage, my spiritual lineage was being revealed through all of these extraordinary teachers or encounters. So for me, it's always been an experiential quotient, you see. And mm. though I now use words that help to describe, for me, it's all about feeling. Mm. Love is a feeling, not a thought or a concept or a high mythic um, something or other that's abstract. No, this is real for me, that forgiveness and that and loyal courage and justice and victory, I'm just looking into the list that I put into one of my books, The Heart's Note, um, that what helps us stabilize the way that we are at this time? What are the verities of life? What are the virtues? What will allow us to stay sane in a world that is mad, mad, <laughs> so would you say that that's one of the reasons why it's important for us to be able to recognize how the archetypes are at play because then it helps us, you know, kind of make sense of the madness of the world or the various dynamics that are happening on, on a global stage as well as in an individual way? Would, does it help us kind of make a greater sense or get a bird's eye view of, of situations in our world and our life? Well, I feel we've just seen it in the passing of Elizabeth, that Elizabeth, mm -hmm. this extraordinary human being, but also at a very, very early age, was anointed by oil that has been used to anoint kings and queens for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, and that arose from Solomon's temple. So the history of the mythic consciousness within the physical vessel of the oil is huge. And when she was anointed, uh, it was the only part of the coronation ceremony that wasn't filmed in the 1953 coronation of Elizabeth. Mm -hmm. Oil was placed on her brow, her breast, and her hands. And in that moment, she became an anointed one. At that moment, she became a vessel for the divine, and if you like, moved into the station of being a high priestess. Now, she made a series of decisions about her duty, her responsibility, and her obligation to the role that she was fulfilling. But the way that she literally lived or behaved those choices was through sustainable grace, mm -hmm. sustainable love, mm -hmm. sustainable dignity that we never, ever, ever saw her shadow. We always saw her light, her smile, aloof, distant, sometimes severe, but she was always, always there for us. And so from an experiential point of view, I believe that she was one of the mythic or archetypal uh, human beings 
saw as a human being she was living these archetypal forces to give us illustration of how if only we can be consistent in our lives because everything else is changing we're waking up suddenly to the fact that there isn't anything there, there is no such thing as permanency all we have is change and i believe that's to do with the fact that we're our lives are reflecting what our divinity is and divine is an infinitely unfolding creative possibility full of love and joy it's this potential that is infinite that keeps in these wonderful cyclic forms, expanding and expanding and expanding, as we see when we look into the natural world, whether it be the uh, earthly terrain or when we look into the cosmos. Mm. So for me, the, the, you know, I, I'm passionate about this. It moves me because they're real feelings. Um, and as a child, I had ex direct experience of this because my father was a war hero, another archetype. Not a very kind man. I may say, but he was a war hero and therefore celebrated by the world out there, just not very easy, the world in here. Mm -hmm. And he worked for the royal family, so I was actually able to see the extraordinary, the mythic, archetypal, prototypical consciousness of what they were fulfilling, as well as the human beings. And I have to say that I was not confused or disturbed or frustrated by their behaviors. There was an extraordinary movement of ordinariness into extraordinariness, from the personal into the public, which um, I speak it because this has also been a lodestone or a keystone experience for me in my life, which I guess is one of the reasons why I've been called, not that I've chosen it, but I've been called to work with preeminent individuals on the planet, whether they be politicians or actors or royalty or statespeople. They somehow feel that they can trust me. Let's take a pause from this fascinating conversation to enjoy a quick consciousness break. This is the first step of initiation onto a path of accelerated progression. The Empower Thyself initiation really is kind of a two-step process. The first step is to receive the life activation, which really helps to align us with our greater purpose and potential. Then when we are ready to accelerate our progression, we take that next step, which is the Empower Thyself initiation. The life activation is like opening up the door to your potential. There's a lot of really amazing and empowering teachings, but even more importantly, you receive a lot of tools, practices that you can do in your life on a daily basis. So the Empower Thyself course is really about that. It's about your empowerment so that you can become the best you and so that you have the tools of empowerment to support you on a daily basis so that you can really set that flow in that course through your life. So I, I think that what you've just shared there, Stuart, especially, you know, the shift from viewing things from the ordinary to the extraordinary and from a mundane matrix kind of 3D world way of looking at things to, you know, seeing things from that higher uh, perspective, that higher view of not only do these archetypes influence us as individuals, but they also are embodied in people, various people, especially on the world stage. All of us, not just... All of us. Yes, all of us. Not concepts on the outside of us. These are living organisms within our being. Mm. 
And the difficulty is that our intellect leads us into the conceptualization or the ideological nature of our lives. No, no, no. The, these are just words that are not just words. They're beautiful words, but they're words that I'm using to express feelings. Yeah. These live within us. Unquestionably, they live within us. And, and, and when, so they are within all of us and we all play these different roles in the lives of ourselves and the lives of each other. You know, we show up in, in different ways for each other. But, you know, when you mentioned Queen Elizabeth II, and of course, with her, uh, recent passing, she has been very much, uh, a subject of topic in the world, in the media, but also in social media. And people, you know, instead of seeing her, you know, certain people, activists, I would say, instead of seeing her as the archetype of the queen from this, you know, what she really embodied, which I agree with you, she she showed her grace. She always came with her smile. She, you know, kind of rose above the, the mundane and the humanness the, of the drama to show us, a, you know, the, the heights of, of something that we could all aspire towards or that regality and that nobility that can raise the vibration of everyone. And yet some people see her as the uh, epitome of the British Empire, which is, you know, from the past. And they're, um, you know, so they see through a different lens when they look at some of these, you know, figures, people who are on that world stage. And it seems to me that um, you, you mentioned something actually the other day when we were talking that each of the archetypes are within us. And so when we then see them accentuated in another person, uh, especially someone on the world stage, we get triggered uh, in some way by that. And that trigger within us actually says more about us than it does about them. Uh, and so, you know, can you say more about how that works so that maybe we can get a little bit of understanding of, of our own reactions to people when they're, you know, really embodying a certain archetype, uh, especially, you know, when, when a lot of people put their attention on them. Yeah, there are many, many different levels to answer your question, but I suppose taking it from the here and the now, mm -hmm. what's happening today, you know, as I've looked into the world, we're recording in the early morning of, well, not that early, but <laughs> uh, except for, you, you know, your technicians <laughs> who are in the United States. But looking into the world, what's happening at the moment? So we begin to realize that there's a, there is a lot of chaos going on in the world. The difficulty is that we become frightened by that chaos because it no longer represents what we most want, which is something we call permanency. Actually, I believe my experience of 70 years of living on this planet leads me to understand that what we're really looking for is safety and security. That yeah. We want to feel safe and we want to feel secure, which in Latin means self-cure interestingly but what we've done is to look for it on the outside of us and now we're being encouraged through the revolutions that are taking place revolutions of thought revolutions of money revolutions of central government revolutions of ways of being and rev revolutions of the way we feel that we're being encouraged to look onto the inside of ourselves and so we begin to realize an essential maxim in our lives, that whatever we see before us is a screen for our consciousness, and that life is not happening to us, it's responding to us. And this is where we understand that that being who is fulfilling an iconic role in my life, who is significant because they dance in front of me, say things, 
topics that I either agree with or disturb, but they are actually these extraordinary representations of a reality of consciousness, a sensibility that exists within. So if I reject Elizabeth because she is blood royal and the defender of the faith and a representation of hierarchy, which incidentally in its purest sense means the rule of the sacred, we have distorted it into the nature of a political or a governmental or an oppressive, manipulative, coercive energy. The hierarchy means the rule of the sacred, and it's taken from the great sacred teacher, the great magi, the hierophant. Yeah. So again, that's an archetype. You see. Mm -hmm. However, we're so displaced by what we're seeing, we're so frightened that we intellectualize our fear through opinion, mm -hmm. which is often obeyed, as we see with so many of the wonderful televisual broadcasts that are provided about <laughs> from the wonderful divine fools, to use another archetype, of Stephen Colbert and Jimmy Fallon, and etc., etc., etc. I just mentioned two, who send their ambassadors off into the streets and the malls of the United States to interview people that may be Republican people and ask them what their opinions are, and when they state their opinions, we see that they're all projections of their fear, and when they're questioned about their opinions, we see that there is very little investigation into the deeper aspect mm -hmm. of what they're saying from their own personal point of view. They're literally just <laughs> projections, <laughs> and often they can be extremely vitriolic. And so I prepare leading people who fulfill a calling or a responsibility to be able to be resolved in their sovereignty and intact when these thought forms become psychic missiles and literal. We all experience it because we just have to say something slightly controversial in social media and suddenly there, there are lots and lots of people saying, oh, I totally agree. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. That's made sense of the way I'm feeling. And then there are lots of people, as we discovered with the passing of Queen Elizabeth, who opinionate and pixelate themselves into vociferous response that is often based purely, they try to make it sound sensible, but it's often based purely on opinionation, on, on what they're feeling deep inside, rather than the point is that she was not um, part of the British Empire, that her father, to begin with, and then she, because of the trauma that took place when Edward VIII abdicated, that they decided that they would offer to the member states, and at that time there were 58 member states, would you like to be part of a commonwealth? It's entirely up to you. If you want to go off and become a republic, we will always love you and we will always support you. But if you would like to come into the family of the common wealth. This is an in a unique initiative that we would love to bring forth. That's what her father said. That's mm -hmm. what the Queen fulfilled. So if you hear some of those extraordinary people from the Cameroon or from New Zealand or from Timbuktu speaking about their relationship with Queen Elizabeth, they were in awe and in adoration of her wisdom, her kindliness, her generosity,
and her immense clarity about the way that they needed to institute political or social reforms within their mm. own kingdoms. Mm. That's very different. It's very different. But then I was, you know, I was very fortunate. I was to be with the Elizabeth in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s before the things changed within my family and evolved into other things. I was able to know her as a human being on a very ordinary level, as well as seeing what she was fulfilling in an extraordinary way. And I dare say I will evoke people who will say that I'm imperialist and <laughs> no, I'm a Republican. I just simply understand and appreciate and value the enormity of what the archetypal values are all about. Mm. So we need to see the king and the queen within us. Mm. Yeah. And just, just for our Americans who are watching this, Republicans here in the UK, it, it means something a bit different than it does in the United States. So I just want to <laughs> clarify that part. Um, now, talking about the pure state of what the Republican is, I'm associating it with a political party. I'm mm -hmm. talking about the corpus of your extraordinary social experiment, which mm -hmm. is based on the Constitution that created the Republic, just as I bow to the French Constitution, which also became a Republic, as we know, uh, at, the end of the at the end of the 18th century, because of the gross social disparities that were taking place in society. Yeah. Now, I want to come back to something that you said that I thought was, was really spot on, and that was around how opinions are really a projection or a rationalization uh, to avoid f the fear, facing the fear. And uh, it actually reminds me what you're sharing. It reminds me of uh, something in the Hermetica by Hermes Trismegistus, where he says that the two greatest uh, sins, if we shall, or the two greatest vices of humanity is, number one, godlessness. So meaning not honoring something sacred. Uh, and number two, mere opinion, mere opinion. And yet in our world today, in our modern society, everybody is so full of opinion and even taught to have an opinion. What's your opinion about that? But these mere opinions are based on uh, just forming an opinion versus what you said, which is digging in deeper to really do the research, to really come to understand that the nuances of the situation, the intricacies the, the cl with clarity um, and have firsthand experience, just as you said, you have firsthand experience with like the royal family, for example, where so many people in the world just form an opinion because they've never actually met them. They just see, you know, and then they, they end up projecting. So, you know, as we, uh, you know, we have our own filters, right? And so often um, how we perceive others has to do with whether we ourselves are identifying more with our, our light and our wholeness and our integrated self or whether we are caught up in our shadow side. And if we're identifying with our light and our wholeness, then we tend to also view others through their light and, and see that light and that potential within them. But if we're caught up in our own shadow, then we tend to project our own shadow or our fears or our attachments uh, and opinions onto other people. So we see them through our shadow versus it actually being their shadow. Uh, so maybe you can say a little bit more around how the shadow side, you also mentioned the shadow, how the shadow side really comes out and influences our, our perceptions, our behaviors, uh, our, you know, what's happening in the world today. Yeah. 
it's so easy to criticize, isn't it? It's much more difficult to love. And so I believe that what we're waking up to is that if we keep accusing and blaming, there is no resolution. All we have is conflict. Mm. And I would suggest in a very ex-escalated way, in a very accelerated way, that's what the paradigm, the gestalt of the war between Putin, Mr. Putin, because it's not the Russian people, it's Mr. Putin, and the body state, the sovereignty of the nation and the people, the wonderful people of the Ukraine. We're seeing it right there. Mm. Uh, but the, you know, the, this is hopefully one of the last vestiges of the warring, raging patriarch who wishes to oppress, manipulate, and coerce, and will do anything to bring about those ends. This is the intellectualization of opinionation. How could one possibly perpetrate such cruelty and violence if he was living within his gut or indeed within his heart? Because automatically we would feel the suffering of others. In other words, the virtue of the empath opens and we begin to see a very, very different human experience taking place. So if we can really investigate blame and accusation, it's so easy. We've been intellectualized, educated, socialized, conditioned into being divisive or diversive. What we've been encouraged to do is to speculate and have opinions about certain theorem and to criticize and to judge, mm. which why I could not fall into that as a child. I could not. It seemed that the competition was absurd because it brought about distemper, it brought about cruelty, it brought about conflict, it brought about disunion. But when people started loving, it unified. So I've never been one for competition and therefore have never taken part in competitive sport, for example. I've observed it from a point of view of the the beautiful bodies in their excellence, living through that potential, which is extraordinary. But I'm not interested in watching how it competes um, or how they compete with self. This is purely egoic. The heart is not open. And of course, we're, began, we're beginning to understand that even in that situation, there are decisions being made. And in order to support the excellence of the physique, the physique or the physiology, that the athletes are taking supporting drugs. So the ego comes in and competes. However, to back to the original premise, that if we have uh, the ability to have insight and resolution, we cease accusing and blaming. So that seems to me to be a really interesting pattern, mental pattern or gestalt or tool. Cease accusing and blaming, have insight and resolution. But then I call forth, in, often in public sector situations, to look into situations that have been brought about through confrontation, mm. particularly with our wonderful women of the world, the female executives of the world, who are not being heard in the boardroom mm. by the men, and they're cons constantly being squashed by the men. And so it, often in human resources, I'm asked to come in, particularly with Diana, the voice of change, and speak about what sounds can we make that always bring us to a point of empowerment, that always bring us to our sovereignty, so that all peoples listen, that we become a magnetic force rather than an opinionated electrical force, which is about dispersal. It's not about unification. Join us again as we continue to dive deeper into this fascinating conversation 
with Stuart Pierce on the next episode of Quantum Minds TV. This Conscious Conversation was created, produced, and recorded by Dr. Teresa Bullard-White in collaboration with Stuart Pierce and edited by Verse Content and HH Films and Photo. The theme music and intro videography were produced by Tim Mountain of Evenload Productions. Quantum Minds TV is a product of the Quantum Learning Academy. Thank you.